back to the Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. I am Sonny Bunch, culture editor at the Bulwark. Uh, I am pleased to be joined today by Sean O'Connell. Uh, Sean O'Connell is the managing director of Cinema Blend. He has been covering the film industry since 1999, and his byline has appeared in USA Today, The Washington Post, and Fandango. Uh, O'Connell has covered the turbulent Hollywood story of the Justice League since day one, and we are here today to talk about Release the Snyder Cut, the crazy true story behind the fight that saved Zack Snyder's Justice League, which uh, Sean wrote. Thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I, uh, as as this is some. Uh... I want to I want to just lay the stage here for people. You know, we're we're in the midst of Zack Snyder's Justice League week at the Bulwark uh, across my various properties. Uh, And one of the things we haven't really talked about too much is the actual business of how all this happened. Uh, You know, I've I've given the short version a couple of times, but I I, I really want to dive into this. Uh, And Sean, uh, as, as, as I just mentioned, has been covering this since day one. And it's a really interesting story on two separate levels. There are two tracks to look at this. The first is a kind of a standard business studio messing with a director's vision track, right? We can we'll talk about that in a second. But the thing uh, that I found very interesting about his book, and that no that that has not really been covered very well elsewhere without snark, without a little bit of attitude and scorn, mm-hmm. is the the fan efforts to get uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League brought to the rest of the world. And uh, so let's. Let's talk about the fans, Sean. Let's talk about the fans because I want to. I want to highlight for folks the uh, the efforts that they made to bring this into existence. Talk about the grassroots. Sure. Um, it, it's hard to even know where to start. I guess they really do begin their efforts on November seventeenth uh, of back in twenty seventeen, which is the day that the theatrical cut screened. Because right up until that point, they had believed the company line that was being fed to them, which was Joss Whedon was coming on board to complete Zack's vision. And it wasn't until they saw the final theatrical cut that they realized that that wasn't the case. And, you know, initially it just became a big question of, well, what happened? And and one of the things that worked in their favor is that they had seen a couple of trailers. And it was like two trailers and then um, a theatrical uh, footage presentation that Zach had brought to to San Diego Comic-Con that at least showed off, you know, long sequences of scenes that they did see in the theatrical cut that they knew looked very different. So there's a lot of times with fan bases when they'll dive into uh, a topic that comes across as conspiracy theory-esque, um, there's not a lot of proof to back it up. But with the Snyder Cut from the get-go, they had some visual evidence that they could at least lean on. And, you know, with fan bases, if they have a kernel of of truth, you know, that pushes them forward, they can milk it for a long time. But so from that point on, they started to piece together like what had happened to this film. And one of the things that makes this pretty remarkable, because I'm I'm stunned, truthfully telling their story, that they kept their kept their fan base organized and kept it together for the better part of three years. Because fan bases, by definition, generally fracture. They find reasons to Mm -hmm. fight. They find reasons to tear themselves apart. And this fan base is not immune to that, without a doubt. But the fact that Zach sort of encouraged them, that he kind of egged them on by sharing a lot of stuff on social media. Um, He used a a platform called Vero almost religiously and showed images and um, sketches, concept art, you know, things that he that that boost uh, bolstered the the narrative that there was an alternate Snyder Cut out there. And that's what sort of inspired them to fight. Yeah, I mean, it it is, you know, um, 
as you say, fan bases are prone to conspiratorial thinking. There's sure. always somebody out there who's who's trying to mess. But in this case, there actually was. I mean, there was a there was a studio that was kind of pushing back against uh, Zack Snyder's vision. We can talk about that again in a minute. Um, but again, the fans. So so what what's fascinating? There's there's an you have an interview with Zack Snyder in this book, and he talks about you know uh, the 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 passion here. And I I think it's look fan base is passionate. We we always see this sort of thing. You know, Disney gets. 10,000 people to show up for Star Wars celebration every year, sure. whatever. Right. Like, but, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's a very interesting passage in this where, you know, uh, Snyder is talking about, you know, this is just a, or Snyder's talking about his interactions with the studio He's, and the studio says, Oh, it's just a vocal minority. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, you know, it doesn't matter that much. What was his reaction to, to that? He talked about specifically in July of 2019 when the fan base targeted uh san diego comic-con again as an opportunity for them to really have their voices be heard and let them know that the snyder cut existed because they went through various phases of first off being told repeatedly by people in the industry that this cut does not exist so they had to fight uphill against that and a lot of it was like a marketing campaign to at least convince people that there's a possibility that this could be out there so they went down to San Diego in 2019, and they this is the first uh, bit of activity on their part that really caught my eye and let me know that like they've kind of elevated the game in terms of like you can be you can be mad on social media that's very easy to do, mm-hmm. but to motivate and get out into and get out into the field and do real grassroots marketing is what sort of caught my eye because I was like okay there's got to be some organization going on behind the scenes here with these folks because they um, paid to have. Uh, billboards wrapped around uh, bus stations in downtown San Diego that was advertising this lost three and a half hour cut of Justice League with quotes from uh, some of the actors, Jason Momoa, Kieran Hines, uh, and Zach himself saying that like, yes, I have a cut, it exists. And shortly after that, in October, they rented a digital billboard in Times Square, which, uh, you know, I would assume is not easy to do. (laughs) I wouldn't even know where to begin to do it. So Zach had numbers, and I think there was a Hollywood Reporter piece that came out of the San Diego Comic-Con one that said the title that got the most buzz, you know, that that had the most bang for its buck coming out of San Diego was the Snyder Cut, oddly enough. Like, all these studios paid millions of dollars to hold these panels, these Hall H presentations, and it was these fans on the ground passing out t-shirts and posters, and they flew a plane, they hired a plane to fly over downtown San Diego, um, it's all stunt marketing, you know, and mm-hmm. it worked in their favor. And he was able to turn around and say to the studio, they are succeeding more than you guys are. And you're a professional marketing division. Um, so either uh, get your act together uh, or hire them because they're doing it for free. You know, like they they literally were doing this out of the the, the passion that they had for Zach and his and his work. And, you know, he was moved by that and kind of blown away and sort of threw it back in the studio's face. Yeah. I mean, you can still see this today. Uh, there was a there was a tweet by Warner Brothers Entertainment, one of the one of the, you know, Twitter handles. It was like, who's going to win Kong versus Godzilla? You know, what do you guys think? Yeah. And there were eleven hundred replies, probably a thousand and fifty of them were we want to restore the Snyderverse. And yeah. I'm like, wow, this is I like it's still going on. It is. And I'm here's where I'm on the fence uh, today <laughs> about mm. this. Because it, it's becoming difficult in that, you know, the fight was always to get the version of Zack Snyder's Justice League released, you know, and, and leading up to it, I would try to set expectations for the movement. But listen, the people in the movement don't listen to me necessarily. Yeah. Um, I tried to set their expectations to say, like, please remember that the fight was always for this one movie. 
And even if it doesn't go any further, because, you know, logistically, we both know how difficult it is to mount a production. And it feels like the studio has moved on with their DC vision mm -hmm. beyond where Zack was going to be in 2017. To not let that dilute the fact that you guys succeeded and got a version of a movie that was never going to come out, you know, to get released. So now that it's Restore the Snyderverse, I'm trying to explain to people in the movement who will listen to me, like, that's a lot harder than you guys think, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. that version that Zach had was, let's say, let's say on a best guess, 80 to 90% finished anyway. You know, now we know it took $70 million to clean up the right. effects and to do whatever else to it. But you're talking about mounting a $250 million uh, superhero blockbuster and, and there's deep pockets in Hollywood, but they're not that deep and they're not on board with his vision anyway. So this restore right. the Snyderverse campaign, I feel like is so much more of an uphill battle than, than even the fans anticipate. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're basically right here. And I, I, you know, I haven't talked to Zack Snyder, but you have, do you, have you, do you have any, any sense if he has even any interest in coming back to this and getting into these fights again? I mean, I, I would. It sounds to me like he is pretty comfortable with this being done. He. I don't think he will ever say out loud um, that he is against the idea, because you know he understands that in this story particular, there's no such thing as it's never say never, you know, and that anything could could, could necessarily happen. And we've seen at the studio level, like key executives come and go, and another person who comes in could be like. Why aren't we doing more Snyder movies? You know, give him everything he wants to do sort of thing. Yeah. The current regime does not seem to be uh, into what Snyder wants to do. Me personally, speaking just as me personally, I don't want him to stay in that situation. Like, I'd much rather see him go someplace else. Uh, you know, he has Army of the Dead coming to Netflix and Netflix seems to really like what he's doing creatively. Like, why wouldn't he go find a studio that backs him as an artist? Because Warner Brothers does not seem to. I know that... There are people who love DC and who love his interpretation of DC who just want him to stay regardless. And I think they're overlooking the fact that this is a bad environment for him to be making movies in. Even with his cut, he's coming out. He came on our podcast, the Real Blend podcast, and talked about that, like, there were things that he wanted to shoot and put in his cut of the movie, the final one they gave him, that they were still like, no, you can't put that in there. Yeah. You know, so he was still fighting to get his purest vision restored. And, and what artist wants that? Right. Right. No, I mean, it's 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 tough. And and as you say, he's, you know, coming out of a difficult personal situation. Uh, let's talk a little. Well, let's let's finish up with the fans here, because what's what's most what's most compelling. Uh, and you, you talk about this in your book, and it's something that I've been following for a long time mm -hmm. is it's not just about getting the Snyder cut of Justice League out there. This was all of this fundraising to buy billboards, to buy airplanes, et cetera, was coupled with a. Uh, a fundraising component for the American Foundation uh, uh, for Suicide Prevention. Correct. Um, and I, I let's let's talk about a bit about that and why that is such a a, a cause that is near and dear to the uh, Snyder fans' hearts. This was a big reason why I wanted to tell this story in the first place because when I came into it, I I did sort of see it as just a fight for a movie. And having covered the film industry for so long, like those were the elements that were most interesting to me because I wasn't aware of the the charitable effort that was pushing the movement forward. So the reason why Zach walked away from Justice League back in 2017 is because the Snyders suffered uh, a horrible, horrible tragedy in terms of they lost a daughter, Autumn, who died by suicide. And Zach has talked about the fact that he tried to bury himself in the work, you know, and thought that he could sort of finish uh, Justice League as a way to sort of distract from what was going on in his personal life. But it just became too much and he had to be with this family. 
So here's where we get into, you know, there's a lot of elements to the Snyder Cut story that becomes a he said, she said sort of thing. And, and I was never able to confirm this, but, you know, essentially the facts are Warner Brothers hired Joss Whedon, you know, to come in and replace him, which at the time was a bombshell move because you're, you're DC hiring the guy who's done two massive Marvel movies, you know, and and on the surface, you could say like, okay, well, there's not a lot of people who have a lot of experience doing superhero films, and maybe they're tapping into his expertise. It it seems clear now in hindsight that they were trying to pivot tonally, you know, away from the the more serious, grounded stuff that Snyder was doing in Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, and chase after the Marvel model and go after a little bit more audience friendly because what Whedon did was lighten it up, punch it up, add jokes, you know, and you can now compare the two versions side by side. So anyway. Getting back to Zach and the reason why he left. As I started to investigate uh, the Snyder Cut movement and speak to a lot of people who were involved in it, I learned that there's definitely a component. I'd say it divides into three portions. There's a component of people who just want better DC movies because those characters are really important to them. There, are, There's a third, a second component that is super into Zack Snyder and all of his films, whether it's 300 or Watchmen and they like the way that he brings a sort of deeper mythology to his storytelling, and, and they're totally on board with that. But there is a third component that is equally strong that is really in this fight because of the the monies and the awareness that this fan base raises for mental health and suicide prevention. And the Snyders have, have wisely made this a very strong component of everything that was leading to uh, the release of the Snyder Cut. So whenever the movement would come up with an idea for something that they wanted to do for marketing campaign and say, you know, we're going to, you know, fly this plane over Burbank. Uh, they would figure out how much it would cost, and they would raise the same amount uh, to make a an equal amount donation to AFSP. And they, re they really made that part of their mission statement. And everyone I spoke to, like, I understand the critique that gets leveled at them of like, oh, you guys use that as a, as a shield, you know, to so that nobody can say that you're a bad group. I understand that that's cynical take, um, but mm -hmm. everyone that I spoke to legitimately and authentically uh, believes in that mission and believes that that they are helping people and that they're making a difference. And to date, they're over $500,000 in donations raised uh, on behalf of the Snyders and, and Autumn Snyders. They're, they're approaching 600000 And even with the movie out, they've made it very clear that like, Okay, that fight is one, uh, or that battle is one, but the fight against suicide prevention and mental health is never going to slow down. And so they have plenty of ideas for campaigns that will continue to keep uh, donations coming in on behalf of the Snyders. And um, and I believe them. I believe that they are truly authentic about caring about that movement and wanting to do do as much as they can to help AFSP. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned uh, people saying that they use this as a shield to distract from the toxic. Uh, the toxic fans, you know, the which is is a phrase I I don't I don't love because uh, it 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 resembles a a uh, a thing that we see on Twitter sometimes that I I think is very smartly referred to as nut picking, right? You have you mm. there there are there are bad there are bad people in every group, and if you just highlight the ones who are you know sending death threat, you know the guy with like six followers who sends a death threat sure. to. And Sarnoff, you know, like, is that guy representative of anything um, or is the right. is the is the, right. you know, half a million dollars that they've raised more representative of what they're doing? Drives me crazy. I'm sorry. I'm editorializing here. No, it's fair. Uh, I understand it. Um, you know, and it drives the people who were integral to the movement crazy also. Um, 
And I've said from from day one that I came into this story with the most open mind and truly wanted to figure out what was driving the movement forward. And had I come into it and and largely figured out that it was, you know, a cesspool of people who were selfishly demanding a superhero movie, then I would have wrote that version. But, you know, the majority of the people I spoke to who seemed to be the driving force behind the movement were in it for the right reasons. And that, I hope, is reflected in my book. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I, I think your 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 uh, your book here will be a very important uh, kind of source of document for future Hollywood historians who are, uh, you know, after long after all of our Twitter accounts have been deleted and turned to dust, <laughs> you know, uh, this this book will exist as a as a kind of uh, reflection of the the actual fan movement of the time. Um, let's talk about the 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 actual business of making this thing a sure. bit because. Uh, you know, look, making a big Hollywood uh, superhero movie is exceptionally expensive. This movie cost three hundred million dollars mm-hmm. uh, before before reshoots. I think uh, you know, or maybe that was with maybe that was with the the Whedon reshoots. But it, it's it's a very expensive project. Um, and uh, Warner Brothers got a little bit freaked out after Batman versus Superman came out. Isn't that right? Yes, because uh, it didn't make the the golden number. That at that time, you know, it still seems ludicrous, but these big productions are largely expected to cross the billion dollar mark. And it didn't help that across the street, Marvel was was cranking out a couple of billion dollar films in the superhero franchise uh, and, and things that you wouldn't expect to get there, like Iron Man 3, you know, sure. ma- made a billion dollars. It's not like just all the Avengers films crossed it. Um, so I understand that Warner Brothers was looking at Batman versus Superman and saying, here is a film that's putting those two characters together in live action for the first time. And not only that, we're introducing Wonder Woman. Uh, and we have, you know, an exciting villain in Lex Luthor. And we're hinting at the existence of Aquaman and Flash and, and Cyborg. And and this is it, you know. Now, I can say that I think they rushed to that, you know, in trying to make, make that movie serve so many masters. And also, you can make the argument that, like, fans largely consider the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, which is 20 to 30 minutes longer, um, is the better cut. I've had plenty of people who have gone back leading up to Justice League to say, man, I didn't really care for Batman Superman. I'm going to watch the ultimate edition. And they have come back to me personally and said, like, wow, that's a much better movie. Like, I totally understand the difference there. So the better version of that movie didn't even make it to theaters. Now, it still made a, a great amount of money. There's plenty of filmmakers who would love to take the box office receipts from Batman Superman. You know, they run to the bank with it and be thrilled. But because it didn't make as much as they expected, yes, Warner Brothers seemed to get very cold feet and lose faith in the vision of Zack Snyder moving forward. And so it's crass to say... But it seems that when the family tragedy hit and they saw an opportunity to pivot, they pivoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's so many things that could have happened that had they happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Like, I, I always make the argument that if the theatrical cut of Justice League came out and it was if it was fine, you know, like not great by any standards, but also not a train wreck. I think fans might have said, like, all right. Zack didn't get to complete his vision, but we got a decent Justice League movie and we'll move on sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, had the studio at the time just punted the release date back and gave Zack some time to, you know, to mourn and get his ducks in a row and come back. Like we've seen nowadays because of COVID, 
it feels like back in 2017, it was a lot harder to move a Blockbuster's release date. Like people yeah. carved out weekends and that was it. Nowadays, weekends move all the time and it and there's no major impact to it. So there's, there's a lot of factors that play into, you know, why they made these decisions. And, and when you step back and look at it in the grand scheme of things, you understand them, uh, even though you want, you want to sort of snag the people in the moment and say, like, this is not going to go the way you want it to go. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's there was there was also a uh, you talk about this in the book a little bit, but there was also a, a larger you know mega corporate uh, concern with the AT and T merger, right? The AT and T Time Warner merger. Yeah, that they kept the release date. It's believed that they kept the release date uh, of November seventeenth because the executives at Warner Brother knew that the merger was happening, and if they pushed it back into the following year um, and and delayed its release, that they wouldn't get bonuses that they were due to get uh, by releasing that film and having it perform up to a certain level. Uh, I believe that I believe that to be the case. That's been reported by enough people that I can, I think that that's, but now the executives that were in charge at that time are not even there anymore. So yeah. it's, it's again, it's a, a business decision that was made that hurt the creative side of it by people who aren't even in the picture anymore. Right. And so, all right. So Joss Whedon comes in, he reworks the script and, uh, you know, he, 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 the fans are told that he's doing, you know, uh, 10 days of pickups or whatever, you right. know, he's, he's going to, but what, what actually happens when, when Whedon comes in? He completely reworks, uh, the tone of the film, uh, reshoots existing scenes to, to make them play differently, uh, adds a subplot about a Russian family, um, that's really in there just for, audience attachment i think they're there for i think they have mm-hmm. because they they get three to four scenes that have n- nothing else to do with the film in context um and you know and shortens a lot of existing bits to make the full four-hour film arrive in an under two-hour package they had a, a mandate to, li- to deliver it in under two hours and I'll, I'll stand by the fact that i don't care what director was put in that position like they were never going to succeed you know yeah I am still really stunned that Joss Whedon agreed to do it. Like, I don't know how he couldn't see the writing on the wall that that he was going to be a scapegoat for this. When he got hired, um, I remember thinking very clearly, because I believed he was a pretty smart director who had succeeded in that genre already. And I remember saying to people at Cinema Blend, like, there's no way he's taking this gig unless he honestly believes he can salvage what they're giving him. And, and clearly that isn't the case. He allowed, it's it's the perfect example of there just being too many cooks in the kitchen uh, and being very reactionary to, well, I think people are going to want to see this. So let's add mm-hmm. more of this, 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 and not adhering to who those characters are. You can't put the DC heroes into the Marvel model. They just don't work. You know, Batman's not sarcastic and quippy. Yeah. And um, Wonder Woman's not going to make a snarky joke after she, you know, creates some sort of heroic act. So all those things just felt completely out of character uh, for what the fans had expected. And on top of that, you're you're telling them and it's building off of two movies that exist in the universe uh, in Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman. And you give them this completely candy-coated Frankenstein monster of a product um, and, and you want them to succeed. Now, personally, watching it too, as someone who's not a huge, huge DC fan, I've sort of come around on Snyder's uh, vision of that universe, but I'm a Marvel, I'm a Marvel kid at heart, basically. Um, so I love what the MCU has been doing. And I, I felt so bad for the justice league and DC fans who were being told by the studio that this 
this movie that you've been waiting for, you know, this live action version of a, of a hero team up that has probably been one of your most anticipated properties, you know, of your whole life, if you've been reading them forever, that you're going to get this crap version of it, you know, and this is going to be good enough. Like it's so insulting mm -hmm. just on yeah. a technical level. It's so unacceptable. And I felt really bad for the fans that had to like, you know, stomach that, that, that this is what they were being told that this is what we think of you guys. Let's talk about the mustache. Speaking of oh. technical, you have a whole chapter in this book. It's one of the funniest. It's one of the funniest chapters in the book. The the debacle with Henry Cavill's mustache. Now I know people. People there. There are casual people out there who probably know there's something that happened with you know there was some CGI work. But it, it, explain just exactly what happened and, and why it happened. Well, I I don't encourage anyone to go back and watch the theatrical cut, <laughs> um, especially with the Snyder cut being out now. Like it, it's become the Voldemort of just like let's never speak of it again. But I want you to, if you haven't seen it in a really long time, just watch the opening couple of minutes of it because it opens with a cell phone camera footage of these uh, two young boys who are interviewing Superman. And it's definitely a reshoot. It's part of the reshoots that they had to do. But, but by this point, um, the cast had left and Henry Cavill was lucky enough to move on directly to um, the Mission Impossible Fallout that he was doing. And for that character, he had to grow this fantastic mustache. And... Warner Brothers wanted him back for the reshoots and Christopher McQuarrie has since told the story that he did figure out a way that Cavill would be able to shave and go back to his clean shaven Superman face uh, and go finish the reshoots and then come back and film additional work with it while he grew the mustache back. But Warner Brothers decided that they didn't want to do that. I think they would only cost him $3 million. I think the way that um, the way that McQuarrie structured his schedule that for the amount of stuff that they'd have to shoot around or move around, it would cost $3 million. And Warner Brothers thought, no, that's too much. Uh, and he shouldn't have to do that. You know, this is Superman. This is Warner Brothers. So they decided they would just film <laughs> Henry Cavill with his mustache in all the reshoots. And they would digitally remove it. Which seems like something you should be able to do. You know, in yeah. hindsight, there's plenty of things that you can do with CGI. But again, this is just another example of them not caring enough about the finished product because if you go and see how it looks in theatrical cut, it makes his face look like bulbous and, you know, swollen. It looks like he just had oral surgery. And I can't imagine the studio executives who saw the work that had been done and thought like, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. You know, let's, let's let that go out there. Because it's it's the first scene you see. It's a punch in the face, no pun intended, you know, of just like, what's wrong? And I've heard from plenty of people who saw it in 2017. It didn't register. But now when they go back and they watch it, they're like, oh, my God, that is egregious. And it's a, yeah. it could have been a simple fix. And this is, you know, CGI folk who had to race the clock and didn't have enough time to do it properly. And a studio that just didn't care and wanted to hit that release date as much as possible. So they have this unfinished effect on poor Henry Cavill's face. Yeah. There's like two or, two or three other scenes. One is the, the fight at Heroes Park where the, the League is fighting Superman. And that whole, you know, his interaction, Superman's interaction with Batman where he tells him, like, do you do you bleed? Uh, that's all a reshoot because you can see Henry's face is like expanded and his teeth are like enlarged. And and then there's a scene at the, the Kent farm. Um, where he's talking to his mom and it's clearly a reshoot that was punched back in there and Henry's face just looks yeah. so awkward. So I mean, it's crazy. It looks like he's got a, like a, a mouth guard in or something. I mean, it, it like it just looks it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it looks ridiculous. I remember I remember watching it actually in 
you know, 2017 on IMAX. And I thought, oh, that cell phone camera footage looks weird, but maybe it's just the distorting effect of, you know, right. sometimes the angles make faces look weird. And I was like, no, it's actually the whole movie is like this <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, so the movie comes out. Um, uh, it bombs in every respect, uh, critically with with fans, uh, financially. It just it's it's a disaster, and and then there's a two prong campaign. We've talked about the fans arguing for the Snyder cut, but there's also a campaign by the studio to say no, this doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing I've always, I I mean, look, I I, I don't work at a massive, uh, multi global. Or global corporation, you know, with tons of prongs doing different, but like to, to repeatedly come out and say, no, this thing doesn't exist. Uh, nobody will ever see it. Um, you know, talk to the wall street journal and talk about how it doesn't exist, how it's a, how it's a myth, how it's a, how it's a fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they know he has it, how dumb is this? I, I, I don't even know if I have a question here. I just, how, <laughs> how, how, how stupid are they to, to do this? It's short-sighted. Um, and I, I think that there are multiple times over the course of this journey where the studio really just hoped that it would all go away, you know, that eventually, and, and I don't blame them for that because Mm -hmm. one of the things that makes the Snyder cut story so compelling to me is how the fan base stayed motivated this whole time, you know, even in the face of being told repeatedly that it's going to now, I mean, it's the truth is people lie in Hollywood, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I can remember Benedict Cumberbatch telling us he's not playing con, you know, by any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it's deception. And without the existence of the streaming services, which didn't exist in 2017, we wouldn't be seeing the Snyder Cut, you know, like I think they might still be holding out uh, this this lie and this notion that, no, it doesn't exist in any way, shape or form. And now that it is out, you even see people playing semantics, you know, where they're like, well, we said it didn't exist, but it didn't exist in this format, you know? So like, it really was an assembly cut. So that's a shell game that people love to play. But I honestly think that the studio believed that they would be able to wait out the fan base and Mm -hmm. that eventually the fan base would get distracted by something else. Or that these other movies that they were putting out behind them would be enough to convince the fan base that like, Okay, they're going in a better direction. You know, James Wan's Aquaman movie did really well, and yeah. the Wonder Woman it made films that billion done, dollars. It yes, it did, and the Wonder Woman films have done well. You know, they the fans still sort of like uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Shazam didn't do as well, um, but man, the drumbeat just never quieted. You know, and if anything, it got louder and louder, and uh, and they picked up support from different places. And then, so what what ended up happening is they had a trending event on November 17th of 2019 to celebrate the anniversary of it. And they aimed for uh, 214,000 uses of the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And we'll talk about the hashtag in a second too, uh, because of that, it's power. But um, on that day, and the reason they aimed for 214 is because Zach was always telling them that that his version of it was 214 minutes long. Mm Mm-hmm. And on that day, they exceeded a million, a million uses of the hashtag. And it, and it became to the point where the studio literally couldn't ignore it anymore. And part of it is, you know, I write about this a little bit in the book, is that without even realizing it, you know, they gave themselves one of the greatest marketing slogans of all time. You know, it was kind of done in jest where someone just did hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And it's, it's part of our lexicon now. You know, it's people use it as a joke for anything. Oh, you don't. 
you know, you want to see the lost version of fill in the blank? Oh, release the release yeah. the so and so. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's another thing that just worked out in the movement's favor and kept them kept them relevant, kept them on each other's radars. Yeah, I mean, it is it is uh, the 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 use of social media uh, by the by by the fans is is really impressive. And you mentioned the power of the hashtag. I mean, I uh, uh, I know people like to to like to laugh and snark at it, but it is a really useful piece of just just straight up marketing. I mean, it's like it's like something Don Draper would come up with. <laughs> yes, it really is. And um, we've seen plenty of other things try to trend, you know, after the fact. And it's it's really hard to do. And that's one of the things that Zach said to the studio of just like your marketing department tries to do this and they, they're not nearly as successful for titles uh, as these guys are for this. Some of that is definitely fed by the fact that the myth of something is going to make people genuinely curious. You know, it's mm -hmm. going to attract people who want to believe in the existence that you're being told off, over and over again that they can't have it. And this feeds into a little bit of how the movement does pick up some toxicity is because I mentioned the three different components of the people who are in the release of Snyder Cut movement. Um, there is a fourth, and it is a very small component from what I can determine, but there's people who are in it just because they want to fight about something. There's mm -hmm. people who are in it because they just want to be obnoxious on social media, and they don't care what the end game is. Um, and so they used social media because they're on it constantly uh, as a way to just be disruptive and they'll continue to be disruptive. They'll continue to find reasons to just be antagonistic. Um, yeah. But that played in the movements. It played in their favor because it was helpful. You know, it still kept it out there. Mm -hmm. But I think that there were times when the people who were the leaders of the movement uh, could have done a better job of dismissing that that part of the fan base. It was almost like they didn't want to silence them completely, but in a way that 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 condones what they were doing. Yeah, well, it's hard. It's hard to wrangle cats like this. I mean, they're sure. you know you're, you're you're basically dealing with a very disparate uh, group of folks here. As you as again, you talk about in your book. You know, we've got people from Brazil, people from uh, China, America, obviously, mm -hmm. Great Britain, all over, like just kind of coming together to do this. It's it's something else. Um, uh, as a as a reporter in this in this kind of world of you know uh, uh, you know nerd pop culture for for lack for lack of a better shorthand mm -hmm. I do not mean that derogatorily uh, the are, are you surprised at all by kind of the backlash against Joss Whedon um, not only from fans but also from people he worked with uh, on the movie I mean I've I've been I, you very rarely see people come out vocally against a powerful director. Hmm. Um, and the the accusations by Ray Fisher, uh, Gal Gadot herself has talked about, you know, not 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 having the best of times with with Joss Whedon. I, I I'm I'm kind of surprised by this. I guess I'm surprised that it if he was behaving this way, which, you know, it there are a lot of indicators that say that he was, that it took this long to come out um, from other places because especially when more of like when charisma carpenter spoke up mm -hmm. against uh experiences right. she had with them and a lot of buffy people came out with stories um you know that goes back a long time and i'm not quite sure wh why they didn't come out earlier um because he's done a lot of work since then so that was surprising um and i you know 
you we talked to a lot of this, uh, the same people in the industry who would have been able to at least point you it's one of those where there's smoke there's fire type thing and there wasn't a lot of smoke around joss whedon um so i was a little bit surprised to hear all this stuff that's coming out now and almost questioned how come it wasn't verbalized sooner but there's mm -hmm. so much coming out now and the part that that i was always a little bit surprised at and i still don't necessarily understand this is that when all of this stuff was being said about joss prior to these more serious allegations that have been coming out right now mm -hmm. But why he never went on record to tell his side of the story about what happened, um, not on the the, tux, the the bad things that happened during the reshoots, but why he didn't come out as a filmmaker and explain, like, no, 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 we had a lot of meetings about, you know, the footage that existed, uh, you know, in a culture where we are constantly analyzing the behind the scenes of stuff that happened and listening to filmmakers who tell the side of the story. I didn't understand why he completely signed over his his life to this story of, you know, I was a hired gun uh, brought in to do a replacement type thing because his reputation because of this has taken an enormous beating to the point where, like, I'm not quite sure that he's going to be able to work again mm -hmm. because of the amount of stories that have come out. And I never understood why he didn't go on record. Uh, and, and maybe some of these stories that are coming out now are part of the reason why. You know, maybe mm -hmm. maybe there's more truth to a lot of these stories that we will never know. And he didn't want to be on record for it. So mm -hmm. it's it's hard to comment about it because it seems to be a lot of everybody's individual stories and personal stories about, you know, uh, what happened to them and how they want it to come out in different ways. But the, the part that surprised me the most was when Charisma Carpenter started speaking out and a lot more Buffy people came up. Uh, to her defense, the Sarah Michelle Geller one, to me, was the mic drop, you know. Yeah. I kind of said to myself, like, boy, a lot of these stories are coming out, but where is she on this? And when she came out to sort of indirectly speak against him, I thought, like, that's, that's for him, that's yeah. that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I again, I've been, I've been surprised. Uh, I've been a little surprised. I, you know, I, yeah, we all hear back channel things. Yeah. Um, and... It was it was it was surprising. Uh, so the you you had mentioned the 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 fact that streaming services made this possible, and that's another angle of the business here that that uh, is is really important because I mean, look, you know, HBO Max. Uh, first off, people people don't want to go watch a four hour movie yeah. in theaters. Yeah. Like that, that's just that I, I like, I, I hate to be a, a Philistine, but that is, that is just kind of a fact. Um, and, and the, the streaming service itself needed a big signature product that it didn't have. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, from your perspective, you know, uh, what, uh, well, I mean, you've already said you don't think this would exist without the streaming service. I'm, I, I yeah, no, I straight up believe that we would not be having this conversation. Um, right now, yeah. if HBO Max didn't step in, because for all the reasons that you said, it doesn't work theatrically, um, not in this purest sense. He would have to cut it down to some right. sort of version, you know, maybe a three hour cut. But even that's a little. But then also just because of COVID and the way that COVID has pushed all of these release dates back, like getting another movie into theaters and on screens is going to be really hard for years to come, you know, as we yeah. sort of untangle all of this. So the streaming services always made the most sense. And as the streaming platforms were rising, it, it almost got to the point where when you were stepping back and looking at the whole picture, you thought like, now they have no excuse not to release the Snyder Cut. You know, like Netflix and HBO Max and all these places are competing against how to bring in subscribers. And the only way to do it is by offering them something they can't get anywhere else. 
So it made a lot of sense. Um, I also stand by the fact that I think it would have made a little bit more business sense to break it up into a week by week release. You know, mm-hmm. he, he divided it into chapters. He gave them stopping points for it. They weren't natural breaks the way you would do an episodic show right uh, right now. But these, the shows that drop all at once are not having the same staying power. They're not showing the same legs as something that does a weekly uh, episode by episode basis because it legitimately, it's going back to an ancient topic, but it's water cooler topics, you know? Right. People are gathering together. After they watch an episode of a show, everyone's at the same point of the story, you know, so you're able to generate conversation and it makes people excited to keep watching it. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen the Snyder Cut maybe ex- uh, play around with that because I think it would have um, probably enhanced. And I still think it had a really decent impact on social media. People were really talking about it. But none of this happens without the streaming service stepping in and saying, yes, we're going to do it. And part of the reason why I thought that there might be a possibility that they would continue telling stories with Zach is because I thought HBO Max would realize the value of the people who want to continue to see how he tells stories. I mean, they're throwing Mm -hmm. streaming services are throwing an insane amount of money at content creators Um, and they're throwing it at content creators who have brands that people are responding to. They're not rolling the dice on newcomers necessarily. Uh, it has to be somebody that they know people like and that people are going to come to follow. And I think Zack Snyder is that person. I think he's one of those filmmakers who's a brand in and of itself. And when you pair him with DC, that seemed like a no-brainer. But that most recent interview with Ann Sarnoff seemed to say yeah. uh, they're not yeah. interested. So Yeah, it seems... I, I, again, it seems like the... Uh, I don't I don't want to be a, a naysayer, but it does seem like the Restore the Snyderverse... Uh, is is a bridge a bridge too far? I, yeah, and listen, I hate to I hate to say that as well too. And 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 I listen. I've learned also that it's betting against the Snyder Cut kids is not wise. <laughs> you know, yeah. they are a very dedicated group. Um, can I see that? But 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 I'm also I'm of the stage now. And listen, my opinion on this changes daily as each new thing comes. I'm of the stage too that Zach I think should be allowed to go off and do something else. You know, like yes, I understand that that DC fans in particular really love his interpretation of these characters, but do I want to see him stay in this uh, it's, you know, I don't want to say abusive relationship, but it's not the best place for him to be creatively. You yeah. know, every time he comes to them with a new idea, if you listen to him in interviews, they turn around and tell him no, they don't want him <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And, you know, with this cut he was telling us in an interview we did with him anyway. He went and filmed what, what they told him not to, you know? And he made a few concessions that, you know, Martian Manhunter scene at the very end was supposed to be Green Lantern. And he agreed to give them that one, that he wouldn't include Green Lantern. But, yeah. you know, but they didn't want him to do any of the nightmare stuff that he included at the end. And what artist wants to be told over and over again that, like, no, you can't do it that way. You've got to do it this other way. I, if I were him, yeah. I'd be running to the hills. So. Yeah. Or to Netflix, uh, Army yes. of the Dead coming soon. Very exciting. Yes, with a, uh, already has a spinoff, you know, for it, a prequel story that's yeah. said that he can be a, a executive producer on. So, and I know he yeah. has other ideas. I know he has other things that he wants to do. I I ran a piece that I still get ripped to shreds for by the Snyder Cut uh, community because they call me a a phony for wanting me in this. Where I I ran a story on Cinema Blend that was just like Zack Snyder shouldn't direct Justice League. Uh, back when he was getting ready to go into it in 2017. And the whole point of of the piece was, this man just did Man of Steel and, back, and Batman vs. Superman back-to-back. Um, Batman vs. Superman, by all reports, was a fight with the studio, you know, every step of the way. Give him a break. Let him go recharge his battery 
And at this point, Ben Affleck had just won a uh, best director for Argo. I said, you have a director wait is sitting in the wings. Let him let Affleck helm Justice League yeah. and have Snyder come back for the next film. You know, like the artists can't just be on the on the treadmill, you know, grinding these films out. They they take a lot out of you. And I thought that this man needed a break. And now after everything that he's been through to get this movie released, you know, the last thing I think he wants to turn around and do is another one. Maybe he does, and if he does, God bless him. But I, I kind of want to see him branch out and do other things. That's me personally. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it with that. Uh, Sean, thank you very much for being on the show. The book, again, is Release the Snyder Cut, the crazy true story behind the fight that saves Zack Snyder's Justice League. You can get it at Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, and uh, I recommend you check it out if you have any interest in the topic. And you should, because it's an interesting topic. Um, uh, that is all for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, and we will be back next week with another show. Mm-hmm.